This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. Our guest today is a gent who, although he was born in Santa Rosa de Cabal, Colombia, he knows the intricacies of North American soccer as well as anyone on the planet. He's a graduate of Southern Connecticut State University. Come on, you owls! And he started his managerial career at the short-lived Staten Island Vipers. I miss the Staten Island Vipers of the A-League back in 1998. It's the beginning of a story journey that's taken him to, amongst other places, the Chicago Fire, the New York Red Bulls in MLS and Puebla in Liga MX, earning him the reputation as one of the game's great soccer philosophers along the way. In 2015, he accepted what is one of the most pressure-packed jobs in all of global football, manager of the Mexican national team, El Tri. We welcome to the pod, really welcome to the pod, ahead of his team's friendly with Ireland, Thursday, June the 1st at 8pm at MetLife Stadium. And then, of course, the cataclysmic showdown against the United States just 10 days later. Welcome to the pod, the one and only, Mr. Juan Carlos Osorio. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here and I really admire your energy. (sighs) Yeah, if only I had half of the energy that you have when I watch you in action, when you walk into this room. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you because to be candid, Juan Carlos, your career story, it's really rather inspirational, magical even. You strove to grind your way into the professional game as a midfielder in your native Colombia and Brazil. You once said you realized around the age of 23 that you might not make it as a professional and you told yourself, no, this is not good enough. I have to prepare myself to be the best coach I can be. I need to go and start from scratch. Was that a frightening decision? Yes, it was because I was playing professional in Colombia. I was on a comfort zone. I decided to quit all that and take my chances in US. And I pick up a country that could offer me a full scholarship. And through that scholarship, not only achieve my academic degree, which I did in exercise physiology and human performance, and proudly so of getting it from Southern Connecticut State. Looking back, I think it was the best decision for me to take. Now, having said that, I first came here as an international student. I went to Clark College in Dubuque, Iowa, a very small town, and two things happened there. A, I got the chance to see uh, Chicago Bulls training in Illinois, about an hour and a half from Dubuque. This is in the early 90s. Exactly. <sighs> I went and watched Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Luke Longley. Dennis Rotman, and, and everything Mr. Jackson did was through the game itself. So I, I, I applied that to football. And B, when I first moved to New York because my visa expired, I came here and worked in construction on the streets uh, with a electric drill, opening uh, roads and and moving the stones and everything that I could do to make money enough to go to school. Yeah, I mean, you really came here, construction, food service jobs, you supported yourself before enrolling 
at Southern Connecticut and cutting grasses in uh, millionaires' houses in Long Island. When you graduated, when you worked as a personal trainer in Queens, I mean, age 37, you were not exactly setting the coaching world on fire, Juan Carlos. You were the conditioning coach in the A-League, one level below MLS. Back then, were you like, I'm confident. I know one day, one day I am going to be the Mexican national team manager. Or was there a time, honestly, when you were filled with career doubts like me, and thousands of our listeners today. When I was doing all, all what you just mentioned, I was thinking one day I will get my chance in, in a very reputable league and in a very good club. I mean, but you are 37, you are cutting grass, you are right. working on the road, you are in the food service industry. What, ga- what gave you the confidence? Because it's never, I'll be honest, it's never happened for me. I'm beginning to think it might never happen. <laughs> and I also have to add to, to what you just said, that I was starting a family. And it was very difficult to convince my, my wife. At that point, we were just uh, getting engaged and, and it was very tough for her to believe that I, all I needed was to go to, to Europe and start working and I would get my <laughs> chance. But thank God she believed it in me and now we have a, two wonderful kids and we have, a, we have a great relationship. When I think about your story, I marvel at your tenacity. I really do. I mean, you moved to England, as you say, in 1997 to study at the science and football program in Liverpool. And there you began to spy, and I love this story, (laughs) on Liverpool's training sessions under their manager, Gerald Houllier, by renting a space near their practice facility. How did this happen? When I first moved there, I was staying at a hotel in downtown in Liverpool, city centre, they call it. Greatest city in the world. Right. I remember the Beatles and all that. So I was staying there and I asked where, where Liverpool training ground was. So I, I just decided to go and I, and I went one day and I went the second day, the third day, but the fourth day I realized I'm not going to get in here. So I locked down the road and I started walking. It was a very narrow road until I found a, an opening on the wall and I could see the training. And then I looked right across the street and I saw this house. I knocked on, on the door and a lady came outside and I asked her to, to let me use the, the chair, the table that was there to go and look over the fence. And I did that for a couple of days. And then I asked her. So, to, so you went up to a complete stranger and you said, you don't know me, but one day I promise you I'm going to be the Mexican national team manager. Let me come into your house <laughs> no, so I can look I, at how I, Liverpool I, train and improve my methodology. You're amazing. I, no, I just say to them, I invite them to eat. And fortunately for me, their two boys were going to the same school, John Moore's University. And I just say, look, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. All I say to you is Monday morning, first thing, 8 o'clock, we will meet at the uh, university's main office. And you can prove that I am a student there, that you can prove that I am going to start my career, and you can prove that I am an honest person. And at the end, that all happened, and I end up living in their house. I remember 11 Crown Road for uh, almost two years and watching the training sessions Liverpool you mentioned Gerard Houllier the great rotation expert yeah, it was him and Roy Evans oh, the great so, Roy Evans so it was two two coaches and I remember that was the time of uh, Steve McManaman Robbie Fowler the German guy the central midfielder and Haman ha- Haman exactly and many other good players. And that was a fantastic experience because I started writing down everything 
I, everything I learned. And the, the thing in there is that the Youth Academy was training at the same place at, at that time. So I could watch the no training. Way. It was exactly, we could watch the, the first team in the morning and the, the youth in the afternoon. With this kind of perseverance, you caught on in England. You worked your way onto Manchester City's coaching staff under Kevin Keegan. When I first got the call from Manchester City, at first I thought they were joking. That's what I hung up the phone. And I was sort of like very rude to them. You then jump back to your native Colombia, the mighty MLS with the Red Bulls and in Chicago, ultimately working your way into the Brazilian league with Sao Paulo. But then in October 2015, you replaced our friend Miguel Herrera and became Mexico's 12th coach in nine years. I've got to ask you this, Juan Carlos. <laughs> You've always been a club manager to this point. And the Mexican national team, all the fans, all that passion, all the critics, the dissatisfaction, the politics. You weren't even born in Mexico, so it's not a matter of feeling a national mission. What on earth made you take that job? Because it is one of the most challenging roles in global football. It was a brave decision, to be honest, because um, before Sao Paulo, I was managing the most successful Colombian club, which is Nacional. They won the Copa Libertadores last year. And last year was the fourth year if I would have a stay. And when I first signed, I said, uh, in five years' time, we will win many domestic leagues, which we did. And I, I was fortunate enough to lead that club to do that six times six titles, and I did also say we will be champions of Copa Libertadores. So when Sao Paulo came looking for me, it was a very difficult decision because I wanted to stay longer in Colombia and I wanted to be part of that. Finally, I decided, no, I, am, I got this great chance to be the first and the only Colombian coach to ever coach in Brazil, and uh, I got to take this job. So we went to Brazil, we went to Sao Paulo, and it was a fantastic experience. Coaching Alexander Pato, Michel Bastos, Paulo Enrique Ganso, Rogério Seni, all players oh. that they have played at national team level many, many, many times. Then we were in the G4. We were a semifinal of the Copa Brazil. So we were doing a very good job, and then the, the Mexican national team made me this great offer and they made you the offer but what made you take and it? then i thought about all the facts that you just said you know all the coaches <laughs> the huge pressure but i i do have to confess that i didn't imagine that i look back and i say to myself well that was one of the main reasons why i took it because i when i first got the chance to go to manchester city or when i first got the chance to go to sao paulo i did say to me and to my wife this is the chance that it will only happen one in our life. And then I got to take it and I took it and I'm so happy I did. I think there's something about you. I think you probably are a man who likes an impossible challenge, but I thought you were going to tell me it's because you've got a huge collection of green ties and you wanted to have <laughs> an opportunity to wear them. I do admire your, your tie game, Twine Carlos. But your record as Mexico national team coach, it's impressive. 16 wins, three draws, one loss. Amongst those wins, the history-making victory 
over the USA in Columbus last November. You killed Jürgen, Juan Carlos. But that one loss, oh, savage beatdown. We have to talk about the 7-0 quarterfinal game in last summer's Copa Centenario against eventual champions Chile. Mexico's worst ever loss in tournament play. That nightmare, last June, eight months ago, I'm asking this question for real. How long after a loss like that does it take before you can sleep well again? 50 days. 50 days? It took me 50 days. First of all, uh, 17 days prior to that defeat, we played on a friendly game against same Chile with a different goalkeeper. And you won. And we won 1-0. And the first half, it was dominated by them. But we realized it was because tactical issues. We corrected them at halftime. And then we, on the second half, completely dominate the game. We beat them comprehensively. So coming into Copa America, we have beaten Uruguay with a structured three, diamond three. We played against Jamaica. We started in the same way, and then we changed to 4-3-3. And then against Venezuela, with all the players that haven't had the chance to play, we tie 1-1. So we went in to play against Chile thinking that we were in a very good position and that we could play like 17 days prior to that, uh, talent for talent. And that was our mistake, my mistake. Now, having said that, before that defeat, I never thought that I could lose a game with a difference of three or four goals. Now I am aware of that. And I think after 50 days, talking to other coaches like Marcelo Vielsa, and other coaches that have encountered at some point in their lives similar defeats. You went on a journey. I learned a lot, and I came to the conclusion to have a contingency plan in case something like that will ever happen again. So I can tell you that almost a year after, I feel like I'm stronger. I am a better in every single aspect of the game. I'm a better strategies. I am a better tactical man. I am a better seleccionador. I am a better coach. And at the end, I am a better human being. And I can plan and prepare my team in a better way. There's a quote you use, which I love, from the Argentinian essayist Jorge Luis Borges about the difference between the dignity of defeat exactly. and victory. Exactly. You have lived that and you've rebounded and then some. I mean, your team are now resplendent at the top of the hex. You got one foot in Russia. You actually head there this summer for the Confederations Cup. You'll also have a squad in Gold Cup action. When you look at the world football hierarchy right now, there's the elite, the Argentinas, the Germanys, the chasing pack, France, Uruguay, your Colombia, the wild cards, Italy, Croatia, Iceland. In your analysis, not by FIFA's rankings in which Mexico are 16th, but in reality, how far back from the pack of Mexico right now? Well, first of all, uh, the writer, Jorge Luis Borges, he not only talks about dignity, but humility. And it takes a, a lot of it to understand that it, it, such a defeat can happen and even more humility to, to realize that it can happen again. And that's why I felt stronger, because now I, I am aware and more aware than I was before that in football, anything can happen. And you have seen it recently with the 4-0 defeat, PSG versus Barcelona. 
And then on the way back, Barcelona beat them scoring six goals and stuff like that. So that can happen. But a lot of people don't even think that it, it can happen to your club or to your team. We do now. So I do believe that we're better prepared. Now, game is a, is a collective sport. So I have said even Argentina or Brazil or Germany will not have 50 top, top players. It's very difficult to have 50. But they will have 50 good players and 10 or 15 out of those 50 being a, a top, top players. Well, we think that Mexico has 13 players in Europe plus Giovanni Dos Santos. That makes him 14. And I think plus six, seven or eight from the domestic league that can make a very strong squad of 23, 25 players. And when it comes down to one game and one game alone, we can compete against anybody. But the tournament is more than one game. I mean, exactly. When I, th when I think about Mexico in tournament play, they're like Spain in the 80s and 90s. They're a great team on paper before tournaments. They've got a track record of triumph at youth level. They often appear to be a flair playing next big thing. Yet when it comes to the tournaments... They just wilt meekly in the quarterfinals. And I say that as an Englishman who wishes that his team could wilt meekly in the quarterfinals. But why do they do that? Is it mental? Is it an inferiority complex? I think it's mental. I don't know if it would be fair for me to say inferiority complex, but um, definitely mental aspect. When those games have come, obviously the players doubted because they have never been in the next game. But eventually we'll have to do it. Now, I am... A strongly believer on competition. Competition will make you better. And unfortunately, Mexico does not play against South American teams yeah. or European teams unless we reach the final part or the final phases of any world tournament. And that's what they refer as a fifth game. So it's a CONCACAF problem, really. I mean, uh, Jürgen Klinsmann told me the last time I interviewed him, he said, I wish the US could play in South America. I could move them like Australia, move from Oceania to Asia for more competition. I will agree with him. I will agree with Mr. Klinsmann because certainly I respect everybody and every single team. But if you give me a chance to play the South American teams, I will take that opportunity because for sure it will be more difficult, but also for sure the players will learn and will come out of that competition better players, stronger mentally, and accustomed to play against the top, top players because tennis players, for instance, they play against the best and that's how they become better. Our players have two ways. I, I talk about Mexican players playing against Ronaldo, against Messi, against Neymar. So it's for our players playing in Spain that play against them two times a year in a season, one away, one at home. But there are many players, our players, that will never have that chance because they play in Mexico. And, and it's impossible to be playing against the best European players or South American players unless you play in Europe. I mean, talking about Jürgen, uh, you've said in an eerie echo of what he used to beg the US players to do, you said the Mexican players, they've got to go to Europe. Brazil has more than 100 players abroad. We, Mexico, have 13 in Europe. Why have so few Mexican players done well in, well, the, in, in the Premier League? I think uh, the one big factor is the money. 
Mexico has a very strong league and I think many players, unfortunately, feel very comfortable playing in their own country with their family around, that gives them security, plus making good money. And for us to take them out of that comfort zone, that's why we use the rotation and we try to create an environment where there is competition for places in the squad. But to be honest, they, a lot of people are against that because they don't fancy it, they don't like it. But then those are the same ones that jump into criticize when we lose the game and they don't even take in consideration that many of those players have never a chance to play against top, top players. I mean, that same advice about going to Europe holds for the perspective of US internationals too. I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts are and advising MLS players to move to Liga MX, players like Omar Gonzalez. How much of a gap is there between the two leagues in your mind? Well, I have said in the past, and I will start by thanking you for the opportunity to answer that question. And I have been misquoted as me saying that the MLS is not a reputable league. I would say straightforward. I think it's a reputable league, but I think it's a very athletic league, very demanding league, but does not have the amount of top players that other leagues in Europe have. So for any Mexican player that will ask me my advice, I would say if you want to play your football at your best ability and compared to the best ability, you have to go to Europe. You will have a better competition there, better than the playing in Argentina, better than playing in Brazil, better than playing in Colombia, better than playing in the MLS, and better than playing in Mexico, simply because the best players play in Europe. One area in which US soccer undeniably comes up short, when I speak to youth coaches in Latino communities across California and Texas, they tell me that US soccer rarely scouts their kids, their elite young players, and that the Mexican Federation is much more sophisticated and aggressive in terms of scouting dual nationals. How do you do that in the United States from Mexico when we can't do it ourselves? I think uh, Mexico does a very good job as far as the national teams, uh, not only scouting, but training them and giving them a chance to grow. But one of the most important things is to have the resources to do it. And Mexico invests money on that because then you need to have scouters, you need to have a scouting system, you need to have the, 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 the resources to send all those players and all those teams to compete against the best in Europe. And again, up to the age of 18, 19, Mexico does a very good job. But then when they come at the club level, because the rules, then they get the, they got like sort of like cut back because then they don't have the chance to play in the in a regular basis. And when they don't do that, then they basically castrate the chance for them to improve and to move forward. But it is fascinating because every American football fan is obsessed with youth development in the United States. We scan Germany, Iceland, Norway for our talent. Yet we don't tap into the 14 or 15-year-old dual Mexican-American nationals who are right under our noses. A stream of American talent goes into Mexican youth academies. There they get the technical education, I guess you're saying, that they wouldn't get in America if they stayed here and went to college. In the US, because the history of the game is, is very athletic-oriented, whereas in other countries, especially in South America and Central America, I think the, 
the, the emphasis is on technique, on ability, in individual ability versus collective effort. I personally believe that you have to have both. And then only through great, great training and great, great coaching, the players themselves can learn the game and become better players. And at the end, whoever can combine talent with athleticism, it, it has the better option. Talking about the US, June the 11th, the big one. You face up to the United States men's national team on home turf, team under new management since you last played them. What was your immediate thought when you heard that Bruce Arena had been named US coach once again? I think that uh, he will get the best out of the American players. He He's American himself and he has enough experience coaching in this league. So I think that uh, if there is anybody that has been taking the steps along the way with the players and the league and all their progress, it has to be Bruce Arena. So I'm sure that Mr. Arena will bring a very uh, well-structured team, very well-organized. I would think that the, the, the formation will be a 4-4-2, as he has the tendency to do it, and they will be very good in set pieces, very good in the air, and we have to match their athleticism to have a great chance. And hopefully the game itself will be as hard for them as it will be for us. It will be played at the vaunted Azteca, which is always berserk when the U.S. comes into town. But with this new political reality, President Trump, the wall, the fear, do you expect the rivalry to go up to a new dimension, up to 11 from a Mexican pride perspective? I think that one of the best things we did against U.S. in Columbus was to separate the political and the social differences between the two countries and just concentrate on the sporting side of things. And I remember that the one key element to that game was to keep everybody on the field because if you look back, we have a couple send-offs that they, they were very drastic. Red and card. They, they, they were really emotional. And at the end, it works against the team. So I would say that we will emphasize on on just playing the game. And again, we have to have the courage to compete against them athletically, but we also have the courage and more important to play the game we play when we had a chance. Talking about emotion, talking about passion, I mean, that is everything that makes Mexico and their national team great. But also, God, from a manager's perspective, so tough. I was trying to think of tougher jobs than the one that you currently occupy. I look at the Mexican national team, the fans, they care so much. They expect even more. So many legends different to America. Your legends are willing to speak their mind. Luis Hernandez, <laughs> he didn't hold back when he said about your team. He said, for me, they play ugly. They play with a manager who doesn't show me anything. That's when you're winning games. I mean, when I read that, I think of Carlos Pereira when he coached the Brazilian national team in 2006 kept winning but he kept being criticized for the style of play and he said why do Brazil have to play beautifully and the others don't do you relate to that as Mexican national team manager my main responsibility or our main responsibility as a coaching staff is to win games I remember Arthur Cox even Kevin Keegan we they always said uh we, we just have to make sure that we prepare to ourselves to win the next game. And rightly so, because if we start talking about 
who plays well and who doesn't, then I can, as a football man, find fault and mistakes even in the best team that you can give me. I am a football man, a football a man of the world, enough to understand that, but enough that to... football, like life, is always imperfect. Exactly, and I just have to concentrate on trying to win and hopefully play well, but the most important thing is to win. Do you feel in a way that to be Mexican national team manager is to lead a country in which 123 million inhabitants all think that they are the manager of the Mexican national team? Absolutely, but I am in the job and I would keep <laughs> tracking all my decisions based on footballing reasons and nothing else and everything else is besides the point. But a Mexican journalist, I was, I was reading what they think of you before you came into the studio and it's astonishing. One of them said to you recently, the last two times at the Azteca, the fans booed you and they asked for your head. Again, this is when you're winning games. And then he said, today... They left cheering, and his question for you was, how do you feel after victory? And I wondered when I read that, as a human being, Juan Carlos, not as a soccer coach, how do you handle it? How do you live with that level of pressure? How do you process it from a life skills perspective? I think it does have a lot to do with personality. I always see the glass half full, and I think if there is one aspect to the progress of the human being, not the football player, but the human being is the brain and how it works. So I think uh, when things like that happen and I heard all that, I, I go in the, into YouTube and I look, there are so many doctors that talk about the brain and the parts of the brain that every human being uses to either observe something and criticize something and is. I think when I do that and I read it, then I understand better why people criticize so much and why people just prefer instead of congratulating the, the national team players because the job that they're doing, they try to be looking for, for faulties and, and things that wrong. Well, why, why then? Well, I think that they, there is a part of the brain that takes over and there is a part of the brain that when you want to not understand something, you can justify it in a way that is not only justifiable to your own self, but to the rest of the people that agree with you. And I keep saying to the players, the most important thing is we need to focus on understanding and trying to learn from those who criticize in a proper manner and they are positive about, and the others they are not, then we just have to be quiet, digest it, but keep going and keep working. When I think about you and the fact that 20 years ago, you, Juan Carlos, you were a personal trainer in Queens and you've ground your way to the top. Does that empower you to live a life without fear? I think, as you just mentioned, grind, that word is a foreign word to a lot of people that are in football. So the, the easiest thing is then to criticize those who have that grind their way up. And in this case, is me. Well, I try to understand by reading, by studying how the, the human brain works, why people are like that, and just try to keep moving forward. But also your story, grinding, yeah. succeeding. Does it also empower you to believe that anything feels possible? Anything, yes, of course. The game allows you to think that way. And life itself is like that. And I think when you prepare yourself, 
it's very difficult for me to prepare myself 20 years ago to become the, the Mexican national team. But along the way, and as I move forward, every single time I look at it and I say, it's getting closer, it's getting closer, I'm going to get a good job, I'm going to get a, a job where I can compete against the best. And I think, thank God, there is one, and thank God that gives him the football itself and life itself and him himself give you opportunities. And I took this opportunity with both hands and I will keep working as hard as I can and as well as I can to keep in the job for a long time. Oh, Juan Carlos Asuria, thank you. Godspeed. <laughs>